Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Welcome in to the Otzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And Happy New Year. Uh, very rare Friday edition on January 1st, getting you ready for tomorrow afternoon's Fiesta Bowl 50th edition. Number 25, Oregon, against number 10, Iowa State. And before we dive into this podcast, I want to remind you guys, we are running a promotion right now. Two months for $1 gets you a VIP membership to DuckTerritory.com. Join the largest online community of Duck fans uh, online. You've got great news. You've got great fans. You've got the access of 24-7 Sports, and you can get it all for $1 for your first two months, $9.95 thereafter that. Okay, Eric, uh, this game is kicking off at 1 p.m. from State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. Uh, game will be broadcast on ESPN. We know that Dave Pash, Mike Golick are calling the game. Uh, this is the last game that Mike Golick Sr. will have for ESPN. Uh, in his time there, he will be moving on. Uh, we know that this is, I believe, the third time that Oregon is playing in the Fiesta Bowl, fourth time they'll be playing in this stadium. They played in the uh, championship game in 2010 as well. Um, first game was the 2002 Fiesta Bowl against Colorado, 2013 Fiesta Bowl against Kansas State, and then they played, obviously, in the championship game in 2010. Uh, and now this is the fourth time that they've been playing in this game in some capacity uh, against Iowa State. And it's a, a team of, I think it's two different teams here. One that's, you know, Iowa State, they're having their best season in program history. They're eight and three. They've played a, a, a lot more games than Oregon has. They uh, much more normal of a season for them from in terms of a game perspective. And then there's Oregon who's, Goal going into the year was to get to the college football playoff. They obviously didn't do that. They hit a dry spell where they had back-to-back losses. Really bad week of or two weeks of play for them, but found themselves playing in the Pac-12 championship game, were able to salvage the season, and now are looking for that signature win to kind of provide them that boost and that launch pad to going into 2021 as a college football playoff contender again. Yeah, I feel like you look at Oregon right now and there's a chance despite what you mentioned it, just a really disappointing couple of weeks there in November and late November of they can finish this season exactly the same way they finished last season with a conference championship win and with a new year six bowl victory. And we'll talk about predictions and kind of some of the keys to this game and throughout the podcast, but like, I, I think they've got a, a decent chance to do it and it's going to require their best. This is an Iowa state team that has far more impressive wins than any Oregon has. They've beaten Oklahoma. They've beaten Texas. Um, you know, they've, 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 they've 
They, they, this is, and like you said, this is the best year in their program's history. Um, this is the best Iowa State team ever. And you would never say that about this Oregon team. And yet I, I look at Oregon and I think it feels like they found something in that USC game. And I know the offense, and we'll talk about this later, is going to have to figure some stuff out. But I look at this and go, this is an, a, a golden opportunity for Oregon to make the most of what was a really strange year where they only played half as many regular season games, where they faltered a couple of times against opponents that we didn't expect that they would falter against to finish it on a high note, to conclude 2020 um, the way that you had, you know, and I know the college football playoff part never came together, but nobody is going to be disappointed. I don't, I think few people would be disappointed with a Fiesta Bowl victory. Um, over a top 10 team and go into the 2021 offseason, similar to how you went into the 2020 offseason as clearly the top pr- program in the Pac-12 and a legitimate top 10 college football playoff contender in 2021. And this is, this is a, I think, a golden opportunity just to c- conclude the season the way um, you'd kind of hoped you would. And I think given the way the month of November went and those two disappointing outings, I think everybody would be really excited if Saturday's game um, plays out like that. And you look and say, hey, 2020 was imperfect for a lot of reasons. Um, let's move past that. And 2021 should have a lot of optimism for it to be a very special season. I want to touch on something real quick. If you're disappointed in – I'm not saying you you are because no, I, I know, know you I know. wouldn't be. But if you'd be disappointed in a Fiesta Bowl win in a 5-2 and two season – when they played seven games, like check your expectations at the door. Holy smokes. <laughs> like, like the, the, the way that this season went and the, the troubles that they had to go through and the replacements that they needed to, to, to do from a, from a personnel standpoint, like this is a, would be a really good finish for a season. And, uh, it's imperative, I think almost for this program to get this win, considering where they want to go in the next couple of years and getting there, it would be aided in a huge manner by winning the Fiesta bowl. Um, all right, let's look at the injury standpoint from this game. Um, we know that some guys are out for sure. Uh, like I would, I would say Justin flow is one of those guys. He's played in what, just one or two games for Oregon. Um, there are some other guys though, like a CJ Verdell who did not play in the Pac-12 championship game that I'm going to use the the term questionable. (laughs) I'm not going to say probable. Um, Questionable at best to play in this game. Wouldn't it be nice if there was like an official injury report? I think that would be, wouldn't that be great rather than us reading between the lines. And of course, Mario Cristobal, and it sounds like Matt Campbell having spoken with Michael Swain on yesterday's podcast and everybody should take a listen to that. A lot of great Iowa state information, like maybe guest of the year, I think not to to, to disparage our previous guests, but I thought he was great. Um, But it sounds like they have a similar uh, setup where it's, it's kind of like, we're not going to really say anything and you'll learn on kick at kickoff. If this player is available, um, regarding Verdell, which is, I think, obviously the player everybody is most interested in, here's what Mario Cristobal had to say on Wednesday, or no, Tuesday. He said, as of right now, we are hopeful that those guys are going to be playing. Those guys also includes starting right tackle Malasala Amave Laulu. Um, 
we certainly we, we've certainly been practicing and getting some reps later in the week we'll determine where they are but right now we feel those guys have a chance to play so i think you can i think questionable is the right does you know just i feel like that's at best at best yeah maybe it's doubtful um verdell's been dealing with a hand injury Salah, we didn't see miss time against usc i don't recall at least um I'd he posted to- some cryptic message on instagram about some kind of in you know I don't know what the word to use is, but something has happened and he posted some kind of cryptic message about it. Uh, and so it's, it, to me, it sounds like it might be a non-injury reason why he's playing and he's not, he's not suspended. He's not any, he's in complete good standing with the program. So if you connect the dots there, that, that's a health, but non-injury reason. Um, and I don't want to speculate too much about it, but it, it, that just is what the vibe you get from it. A couple other guys here. Um, Cam McCormick, Cristobal said he is doubtful. Um, boy, what a roller coaster ride with Cam this year. Of there was, I remember a couple weeks there. I think it was before the Oregon State or the Cal game, where it seemed like there was some optimism he was going to be back. And this is now basically three full seasons. It seems like he's not going to play yep. or play one. I think he played what about maybe forty snaps, twenty snaps to his. His, uh, well, gosh, I don't even know what year you want to call it, but the 2018 season before he broke his leg, uh, missed all of 2019. Looks like he's going to miss all of 2020. Really a bummer from his perspective. Um, Dante Manning, the five-star corner who we haven't seen all season. Um, seems to be some optimism. We will see him. Cristobal, you know, last week had said he's on the cusp um, and he's, he's been practicing and looking good. So I think m- maybe we'll see him. Um, it sounds like, that's kind of, I think that's kind of the extent of what we know at this point. And, uh, you know, I think you go into this game going, if CJ Verdell can play, that'd be huge. Yeah. Um, this has been a weird season for a lot of reasons, but his inability to really be a factor down the stretch, I think has been something that maybe gets overlooked a little bit. Like the offense seems to have started to falter in part. And I, and I know Travis Dye has been great. Like, I don't want to, disparage Travis Dye, but like I think it's fair to say arguably the two best offensive games of the season were the first two and those were games CJ Verdell was fully healthy ran for over 100 yards in both caught a couple passes had you know was explosive in a lot of different ways he was CJ Verdell we were expecting in 2020 the guy that was going to position himself to go pro early yeah and was a candidate to be you know an all-conference guy certainly to be discussed as as a Pac-12 player, offensive player of the year, maybe. Um, he was that kind of a player. We just, he just hasn't been available. And so if he can come back in this game and play some sort of a role, I think that'd be significant. If he doesn't, um, Oregon at least has had some time now to adapt without him. And I, I think you'd see, obviously, Travis Dye get big reps again. And I think Sh- Sean Dollars, we mentioned his name quite a bit recently, really impressed with what he looked, you know, with how he looked in that USC game. Maybe we see a little bit more of him, but um, I think that's going to be one that's interesting. I think the, the positive here as well is it seems like Oregon's wide receivers are fully healthy, which is going to be basically the first time all season they'll have the, their uh, full complement. Their top four guys have not been healthy and available together really all season. Um, we talk about Johnson, Red, Pittman, and Devin Williams. If all four of those guys are healthy, it seems, seems like they are. I think that's a pretty big win for this offense in, in trying to get on track and they're going to need all hands on deck in this game.
Yeah, it's kind of crazy, right, to think about how Oregon's receiving core. We 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 said at the beginning of the year, and I think it's kind of played out that way, in which we said Johnny Johnson, Jalen Ray would be the team's top guys yep. going into the year, but then eventually Micah Pittman and Devin Williams would kind of assume the mantle of being the go-to guys. And it's been evident that Devin Williams and Micah Pittman are two dudes. And I'm not trying to disparage anything about Jalen Red and Johnny Johnson. I think they've been terrific this year. They, they have lived up to expectations beyond expectations. Um, but we've seen in small sample sizes that Devin Williams and Micah Pittman have been really good. It's just neither of those two guys have been able to stay on the field for a full season. And what would that, what would this offense look like if they had the full package at tight end at receiver that, and they haven't had it all year. And so maybe this is the one time we see it. And maybe that's a huge difference in this game. Um, Another thing I look at, Oh, go ahead. Good. I, I was just going to say, doesn't it feel like, though, like there's going to be a breakout game for Micah Pittman here? Like, I we, hope so. I mean, we've been talk- it. I mean, we've been talking about this like for a couple of years now, and he's just had so many obstacles in his way. And when he does play, he's so dynamic. It just feels like at some point here, and maybe it's going to be 2021, we have to wait another season, but it feels like at some point here, he's just going to have a game where he gets six catches for 120 yards and a couple scores. And it's like, there's the kid everyone has been so excited about behind the scenes, right. but like his career, his like career high right now is what, like 50, 60 yards. Like he hasn't had that big game and it's just because he's been hurt and hasn't had any consistency. So I'm kind of like back of my head. You think about guys that could really impact this game. I, I have like a strange intuition. And of course, if you followed my predictions this season, I haven't gotten a lot of them right. I have a strange intuition. that Maybe this is going to be his moment. I'm also curious to see how does Oregon respond to the big game atmosphere? Uh, atmosphere isn't the right word. The big game opponent. Yeah. Iowa state has played four games against top 25 teams. Their first game against Louisiana Lafayette, who was 16th in the country. They lost that, but according to Michael Swain, it was a lot, a lot of that was due to, to COVID and, um, I would say didn't have a lot of their players available for that one, but they played Oklahoma. Who's a top 10 team twice. Uh, they played Texas as well, who was a top 25 team when they played them. And now Oregon is the fifth top 25 team that they will have played this season. And from an Oregon perspective, granted fewer games, but Oregon has played just one team this year. That's a top 25 team. And that was, Southern California, and I think, Eric, you would maybe agree with this. Uh, SC was a much of a fraud of a top 25 team, as we've seen all year, because of how many times they had to come back down double-digit scores in fourth quarters. Uh, and, you know, they just lived on the line too far, far too long. And while talented, we kind of all know, Duck fans included, what USC is. You know, poorly coached, you know, they they emotional team, and always had to make these comebacks. And and while they were ranked, and you give them the, the benefit of the doubt, Oregon's 1-0, Iowa State's played a, a significantly more amount of games against opponents that are equal in terms of perceived talent in the top 25. How does Oregon respond to that? I think it's a really important point. Um, we've obviously spent quite a bit of time in the last couple of weeks talking about a talent disparity based upon recruiting rankings, honestly based upon some eye test stuff too. Um, that's, I don't, and I, I think Iowa State is a very good football team, but like they've made up, you know, they, they've found ways to win and they've found ways to be competitive. They have not 
been blown out or beaten down. I mean, and that's why I look at this game. We'll talk about predictions again later on the show. I have a really hard time seeing this game be a blowout one way or the other. I, I, I think the more I look at Iowa State, the more I think of them, think about them and kind of hear about them, the more I watch some of their players, watch some of their tape and stuff. It's like, it just seems unlikely this is going to be a blowout. Probably even one way or the other. I, I don't, and I could see Oregon just completely imploding just because we've seen it from an offensive perspective this year. Um, I don't expect that. We'll talk more later on that. But yeah, no, it's like Oregon really hasn't had the big games that, you know, that Iowa State has had. And Iowa State has been up for the challenge every game. And I, I think you have to be really encouraged. Say what you want about USC. And I don't disagree with what you're saying, Matt, at all in terms of like there's a lot of holes on that team. Like for putting it nicely, like it's, it's like Clay Helton's ability to like the guy's Screw a magician every year. <laughs> the guy's a magician <laughs> for keeping his job, but also a magician for just figuring out a way to like, yeah, you're right. To not, to not be able to get the most out of the talent on this roster is really remarkable. Um, and so like, I, but like the fact remains, say what you want about USC. Oregon did go into that game. They were the underdogs. They go into this game as an underdog. Against two top, you know, now twice against teams that are top fifteen teams, and they took care of business against USC, and they now have a chance against Iowa State in consecutive games to prove that they are up for these sort of tasks. And like, this is a young team, but there's also enough guys on this team, right, that played in last year's Rose Bowl or played in you know the game against Auburn last year or played in the Pac-12 championship against Utah. I mean, Oregon played has played some big games the last you know year and a half or so where I go like I I don't I think they're going to be up for this and it's going to be come down to can they execute late and that again that's the million dollar question is is are they able to do that and I, to me I maybe I maybe I'm being I'm, I'm, it's been fool's gold with the defense the last couple of weeks but I suddenly have a lot more confidence on defense than I do on offense for for who's up for these sort of challenges and I think that then goes into maybe the next storyline of this game. And before we take a break here, um, there's you and I both have confidence in this defense. It's now what kind of confidence do you have in the offense to be able to be more than one dimensional um, and, and quite honestly, just be able to move the ball consistently because the, the play at quarterback the last couple of weeks has not been good, which is, forced Oregon to become a running team. And when you don't have CJ Verdell, mm -hmm. uh, it becomes incredibly hard for the team to run the football. Even, even with a CJ Verdell, it's hard to move the ball when everyone knows that you're struggling to throw the football and they can just load the box and, and disrupt the run game. And that becomes the next kind of major storyline and the last one of this game for us going in is just what kind of production do you get at quarterback who is at quarterback and can Oregon become multi-dimensional again like they were in the first four games of the season because that first four games their offense was terrific it's just the last two have been horrific yeah, and that's just this that's this this team and that's why it makes it really hard to kind of have a grasp of what we're going to see on Saturday is like, okay, part of me goes, if Tyler Shuck has it, we're going to see on Saturday. If he doesn't have it, we'll learn that on Saturday. Um, and you try to stay optimistic about it. And you also go like, okay, let's say what's – so let's say if he does have it – like I think if Tyler Shuck plays his A game, I think Oregon's going to win this game. I, I actually feel like that opens the possibility for 
for Oregon to, to maybe win. I don't want to say like, I don't think it's going to be a blowout either way, but like to maybe win by 10 points or 14 points or something like that. But if Tyler Shuck doesn't have his A game, what's the contingency plan? How quickly do they go to Anthony Brown? Do, do they go to Anthony Brown or they just wait it out? I mean, I, it is a really fine line. This staff has to walk here of, we think Tyler Shuck is somebody we have some hopes for being the quarterback in the future, but we also really want to win this football game. And if he doesn't have it, how quickly, how quickly do you go, Hey, let's bring in, I was going to say the righty, they're both right-handed, but I was trying to make a reference to <laughs> they're both. There's a lot of right. All the quarterbacks on the team, I believe are right-handed. How, but how quickly you turn and say, Hey, Anthony Brown, it's your time. And how, how capable is he? Um, and again, I, like, let's be real. Matt has brought this up in the past. I think it's fair. It's, it's not like Anthony Brown came in and ran the base offense and had success. He came in in some very special packages and a ton of credit to Joe Moorhead for being innovative and for finding ways to kind of mitigate some of the quarterback issues from Shuck by switching things up. But we didn't see Anthony Brown exactly come out there. He didn't have a single, he did he didn't, carry the offense for an entire drive he didn't throw the ball downfield i mean there was no like 10 yard pass well he threw four passes and three of them were to the end zone and the other was a short dump off pass that we've seen tyler shuck complete how many times this season to dj johnson for a first down and and to his credit it was a tough pass i think it was a funga who was kind of in no man's land brown pump faked held the ball Hafunga kind of jumped and he just dumped it over the top. Like it was a good read. I don't want to take anything away, but it's not like we've seen Anthony Brown sling it up and down the field. So like I have, I, 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 that's a not, an unknown commodity for me of like, okay, if Tyler Shuck's just not ready uh, and he's just, not, and he's just, he's just something's wrong with him and he's just completely, he's, his play has devolved to the point you can't play him in a big game against a good defense. Like, is Anthony Brown going to be much better? I, I just don't know. I haven't seen it yet. And, like, I, I, I'm trying to be optimistic, but I also go, this is a guy who was not going to be the starting quarterback at Boston College if he stuck around. And he transferred to Oregon knowing it was going to be an uphill battle to start. So um, I, 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 think, I think it's a huge question. It's a huge question. And if we can't, if, if Oregon can't get good quarterback play, I think the, I think the possibility, the likelihood of them winning this game is very small. It's very, very small. And it would take an absolute Herculean effort from the defense, something like what we saw um, in the Red Box Bowl against like Michigan State, um, or like maybe what we saw against California at home last year. Um, but those kind of, it's going to take, it would take that kind of effort, or even kind of what we saw against USC to a certain extent, right? Like Oregon had one long drive that whole game. But like to win this game without quality quarterback play is going to require forcing a bunch of turnovers is going to require basically Iowa State having no momentum offensively. Um, and I just go, boy, that that's a tough ask against an Iowa State team that seems to have some moxie that seems to have a lot had a lot of success in these kind of moments this year. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, um, we'll get some keys to the game from Eric. We'll also make some predictions from an individual standpoint in this game or team prediction. And then we'll wrap up the show with uh, score predictions of who we think wins this football game. All coming up next here on the Austin Audible's podcast.
All right, welcome back to the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel with me as always. Real quick, before you guys forget, make sure to take advantage of the promo, two months for $1. And also make sure to go give us a review on iTunes or Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever platform you use to listen to the show. Please give us a review. That helps us. It gives us good critiques. Uh, we like to improve the show. And if hey, if you think we're doing something, this show as perfectly as possible, let us know. Um, okay, Eric, keys to the game. Offensively, I, I, I look at this and is it as simple as you just need positive plays from quarterback? Is that as simple as you can be for, for offense here? I have, um, I have two from the offense that I wrote in my five keys to the game story, which you can go check out on duckterritory.com. And the first one is, and the first one of the entire story is get the best out of the quarterback position. And I, I mean, I really think the offense – and this is like very much like an oversimplified football perspective of like, but it's true. The, like if you, if you get bad quarterback play, it's hard to win football games. And Oregon has had bad quarterback play the last two games and they won one game and they lost the other. Um, I think they really need a good game from Tyler Shuck. Um, and they really need to see what they have in him. And the second one I put kind of ties into that. And it's, they need to connect on some passes downfield. You know, Iowa State's defense, the three-three-five stack, I think one of the things that stood out from what uh, Michael Swain said yesterday and just kind of doing the deep dive into them a little bit more, they are susceptible to some vertical passes. And Oregon has not completed a single pass down the field since the first half against California. Um, I mean, against USC, everything was underneath. Everything was underneath. The one time Tyler Shuck tried to go you know, deep over the middle, he threw it into double coverage or triple coverage. A lot of guys are out there for USC and it was picked off. Um, but you look at this team and the way they started the season, I, I, I have some stats in the story here of like, they were one of the best teams in the conference um, in terms of passes downfield. They had three passes over 60 yards the first four weeks. They had 11 over 30. Um, they just haven't had any success doing that. And I think that's pretty crucial here. So, and I know this ties into the first one, but like if they can get quality quarterback play from Tyler Shuck and can some, and can, keep that Iowa state defense honest a little bit by having some success, throwing the ball down the field. And like, it doesn't have to be to a receiver. It can be, I mean, it's, we've had two long, there's been two long completions on wheel routes to Travis die, like incorporate that again, find some success there, but just find a way to move the ball up and down the field with some quick strikes and some, and some long passes. I think that would, that would be crucial in this one. So, um, but yeah, I mean, to me, it really is, is Tyler Shuck able to make some plays? Cause if he can't, I think it's going to be a really hard one. I look at defensively and for me, a, a key to the game for me is almost just like, don't limit the big play. Like if, if, if you're going to lose to Iowa state, make them earn every single play offensively. And for you old school duck fans that I can't believe I just said this. Uh, and I, I guess there's old, old school, and then there's old school. But if you're old school duck fans, the Nick Aliotta defense, bend, but don't break, like don't get like what made Nick Aliotta's defenses so good. And what made Oregon's defenses last year so good was it was so rare for an opponent to rip off a 65 yard touchdown play or rip off a 45 yard play. Every play that, that you got against Oregon had to be like 8, 9, 10, 12 yards. You know, they did not give up the explosion play. And for me, in this defense, they have the better athletes. 
And so to stop them, it's just making sure Iowa State goes on these really long drives because eventually your better your your athleticism, your skill set, your talent, your speed will eventually catch up and become the difference in the drive. Don't give up the big plays. I think that's fair. I think that was the formula to some success against Cal and USC. Um, you look at the Cal game and they basically their biggest play from scrimmage was the touchdown in the second half um, that, that sealed it, that, that ended up being the difference. Um, but other than that, everything was earned. Those drives in the first half were, were agonizing to watch because it was just short chunk, short chunk, short chunk, penalty, penalty, short chunk and touchdown. Um, you think about the USC game and aside from a play where Diamade Lenore kind of fell down, there really weren't any plays down the field to be had either. So I, I look at that and think if Oregon can replicate that part and, and like the big key here for me is like Iowa state's running game, Brees Hall, this guy has, has been so dynamic, so impactful in every game this season for the cyclones that I go, if you can kind of mimic what Oklahoma did and keep him under a hundred yards, he actually, they kept him under 80. They could do something like that with him and really kind of bottling up, handle him. I don't know if I have a ton of confidence that Brock Purdy is going to make the plays against Oregon secondary in the passing game. I look at Brock Purdy and think he's not any better of a passer than a lot of the guys Oregon has faced this year. He's not Keaton Slovis in terms of that sort of thing. Uh, Maybe the closest comparison is like a Jaden Delora where he's athletic. He can move around. He can make some plays with his feet. He can throw the ball downfield, but not, like I think it's kind of like a 50-50 proposition in terms of if it's picked or not. So like and maybe not 50-50, that's probably being too too harsh on him. But like if, if you make this game, hey, Brock Purdy's gonna have to make plays. I, I really think Oregon wins. Like and, and maybe and maybe that here, and maybe it's you simplify it to this for both teams. If the opposing defenses make the other team's quarterback have to win the game, yeah, that team's probably gonna win because Tyler Shuck and Brock Purdy, I know they're not the same player but I haven't really seen enough from either of them to say, Hey, the ball's in your hand. You got to go make a drive here. The, the run game's going to be kind of mitigated. Go do it. I haven't seen enough from either of those guys to really feel confident in their ability to do that. Okay. Uh, some individual or team focused predictions that play out in this football game, Eric, I'm going to go out on a limb and start first and I'm going to start with Tyler Shuck and the receivers. I I think this is the first game we get Pittman, Devin Williams, Johnny Johnson, Jalen Red all together on the field at the same time, all playing good football. And I think that's going to help Tyler Shuck. Um, I'm not going to come out here and say that Shuck's going to throw for 350 yards and, you know, just all of a sudden everyone goes, whoa, where would this guy come from? But I I think – the four receivers and the guys that they have and what they can do against the secondary that Iowa State has, which is good. I I think Oregon, though, gets a game closer to the first three and a half games from Tyler Shuck than what we've seen the last two and a half. I think Shuck Shuck does enough for Oregon's offense to be multidimensional, and the, the offense goes over 400 yards of offense. This one shouldn't feel too bold, but it does based upon the previous six games. Oregon 
I think I don't think their offense is going to turn it over. Um, they've turned it over at least once every single game. Um, in fact, they've turned it over multiple times in four of them. This is an offense that has really struggled to just hold on to the football to protect it. Um, and I, I look at this game and think this is an opportunity. And again, these predictions are a little bit bold, but like this is an opportunity and maybe it's almost a requirement to win this game. It was one of my keys is just to protect the football. And the, I think really what's going to be instrumental in this, and I just talked about quarterback play. You just talked about quarterback play is if Oregon can build the lead and it doesn't become a, Hey, Tyler Shuck, you got to go make the place to win. Cause I think when he gets forced into that mindset of like, okay, it's a crucial situation. I have to make, I ha, I, it has to, have be to make a play. I have to do it. I have to do it. That's when we've seen issues when he can make the simple reads and not feel like he's being asked to do too much. I think that's when Oregon has had been at its best. You think about those first couple of games, um, especially against Stanford, they build that lead and then he's able to run that option. He has all these great running plays. He has a couple nice, easy, short, short dump offs. Um, I even think about some of the stuff we saw early in that first half against Oregon state where there was a lot of success and similar kind of things. Um, even against UCLA at times, there was, there was some of that. So I think that's critical is, is just he, if he can be able to just be comfortable in the offense and doesn't feel like it's all comes in all the weights not on his shoulders, that's the recipe. And that's how maybe they come out of this game for the first time all season without turning it over. Defensively, I don't think Iowa State has someone that can block Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, he's had three straight games with a sack. I mean, remember the first three games of the year against Stanford, Washington State, and UCLA? He didn't have any, and everyone was freaking out and wondering, oh my God, what's wrong with Kayvon Thibodeau? Oh, what's going on with the Oregon defense? And three straight games now, he's had a sack against uh, California, Southern California. He had something like I want to say like 14 or 15 quarterback hurries, according to pro football focus, which is just insane. Um, I I think we get a back-to-back, just massive performances from Kayvon Thibodeau. He finishes with multiple sacks, multiple tackles for loss, and basically is the best player on the football field uh, and will win not only the Pac-12 championship game MVP, but will also win uh, pack will win the Fiesta Bowl defensive MVP. And I think the recipe for that is, is again, if they stop the run, he's able to make all these plays because Brock Purdy is running for his life on third downs and long and, and second downs, and maybe they have to go for on fourth, et cetera. Um, this is a bold prediction I have on the site here, and I know this one drew the ire from some Iowa State fans who, by the way, boy, I have. it's been fun just seeing how – rabbit of fan base Oregon is facing these guys do not they, I think they feel slighted anytime anybody uh, is critical or, or predicts they're going to lose um, and hey I get it but uh, I think Oregon's front seven holds Brees Hall below 100 yards um, this is an Oregon run defense that has seemed to find some stuff and has seemed to figure some stuff out they've seemed to have clearly shifted and I, I you know I don't know if you want to say that this, this is, it's hard to draw entirely like the causation of it, but Jordan Scott hasn't been in the starting lineup the last two weeks and Oregon's rush defense has suddenly gone to a different level. Um, there have been some personnel moves that they've made there. They've made some slight alterations, I think, um, you know, in terms of th- formations and stuff they've been doing. Um, I think this is another opportunity. Obviously the best running back they faced all year is Brees Hall, statistically the best in the country. 
He also has failed to reach 100 yards the previous three games, and a couple of those are against defenses that I don't think are nearly as good as Oregon's. So I think he's going to be held under 100 yards in this game. And in doing so, again, that forces the pressure onto Brock Purdy, and I think that's kind of a win-win for Oregon. All right, uh, score predictions here. Um, I think Oregon's going to win. And real quick, you and I both, I you've gotten more of it. I started getting it Thursday morning on social media. Apparently, somehow, our, our comments about how we thought if Oregon played their best football, they could blow Iowa State out got turned into we think Iowa State is going to get blown out by Oregon. Um, <laughs> that, that, that's funny because I, we never said that. We just said if best case scenario for Oregon comes out, it, this turns into a blowout and you know, the talent disparity between the two teams isn't close. Um, that being said, I think this is going to be a close game. I think this is going to be one of the better games in bowl season. I mean, God forbid Notre Dame and Alabama are playing possibly right now while you're listening to this podcast and the Irish go into this game as a 20 point underdog in a college football playoff semifinal. I have no desire to watch that game unless I absolutely have to, um, unless it gets interesting and you have to play the games to make, you know, to play the games, but Oregon's a four point underdog in this game against Iowa state. I think they cover, I think they outright win but it's going to be a, a back and forth affair. I, I think Oregon and Iowa State have fourth quarter leads in this game, and ultimately, I think Oregon's defense is the reason why they win. And I'm going to say they win this game, twenty-seven to twenty-three. Oh man, you have this game way, way more lopsided. I have twenty-seven twenty-four. So. <laughs> Literally, and, and the funny thing is, we again, I, I've sent my prediction over to Kevin Wade, who posts the predictions on the site. Um, so, like, like, this is not like I'm not, I'm not goofing around here. That's literally my prediction is 27 24. Um, yeah, no, I, and just to address the, uh, there, yeah, again, like I, like I mentioned earlier on the Brees Hall thing, um, there are a lot of Iowa State fans who we think are idiots, and I, I actually had to, I, I shouldn't say I had to. I recorded it and I chose to because it was it sounded fun to do uh, record a podcast a couple of days ago with uh, an Iowa State reporter and he let he let me know that Matt and I are kind of we're kind of the villains down there right now people don't <laughs> think very highly of us so um, and here we are predicting I'll against, be your Huckleberry there you go <laughs> and here we are predicting against the Cyclones here and, and, and maybe some of them are listening I, I I have a lot of respect for Matt Campbell and for this team and the, and I do think Priest Hall is going to be a future NFL star player i think you look at a lot of the players on iowa state and and or again and like the talent disparity i brought this point up a couple of podcasts ago like the recruiting ranking thing it's also fair to point out that iowa state had more ap all americans than oregon like it's not i i'm not saying they don't have talent it's just i think oregon has more of it and for a lot of the same i, I think we, we, we both expect the game to go pretty similarly i mean obviously based upon the prediction 27 24 27 23 we're not anticipating this one being a lopsided blowout game by any means. I think this game is going to be close. And, and like, frankly, I'm expecting this to come down to the last couple of drives of the game. And if you're an Oregon fan listening, you're going like, holy cow, how are we going to win a game if it comes down to the last couple of drives? This team has not been great in those situations this year. 
I, I think they're going to kind of wear down a little bit this Iowa State defense and have some success late in the game. And I know Iowa State's been great late in games this season. I think Oregon's offensive line, and, and of course, you have to acknowledge if Malasala Amove Laulu is not healthy, Big Sala's been, I don't know, one of their one top, of, if not the best offensive lineman Oregon's had this year. Totally. Top two, top three guy from that perspective this year on the offensive line. Um, that might impact things too. But I, I, I think Oregon is going to win up front enough late to be able to, to win this game. And I think I'm with you in terms of my picks for the MVP of the game, I think offensively. I think, it, I think Micah Pittman is going to make some big plays. And I think defensively, I, I'm expecting Kayvon Thibodeau to have a big game. And like if there is a player in this game whose impacts – Aside from Tyler Shuck, clearly, and we've spent a lot of time talking about it, but there's another player, and that's just, I guess, the player defensively who I think swings this game one way or the other. It's Kayvon Thibodeau. If he doesn't have a big game, I think Oregon has a tough time winning this game. But if he does, and I kind of, I'm, I'm thinking he will. Um, it was one of my predictions this week as well. It's just he's going to wreak some havoc. I think Oregon's going to do enough to win this game. It's going to do it for us here on the Autzen Audible's podcast. Next time you hear from Eric and I, it will be January 2nd sometime in the early evening. We will be recording the post-game edition of the 50th edition of the Fiesta Bowl between number 10, Iowa State, number 25, Oregon. Win or lose, we'll be on the show breaking it all down. And then starting out next week, we'll start recapping just the entire 2020 football season getting you into the off-season mode. It's crazy we've reached this point, but nonetheless, thank you for listening to the Autzen Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks.